0: Welcome to Divers and Cheats, this special episode, episode 9 of our show, the USA-Mexico post-game following Mexico's epic 3-2 victory at the Rose Bowl in the CONCACAF Cup, clinching a spot in the 2017 Confederations Cup. My name is Carter Krishnar. I'm joined by World Soccer Talk's Robert A. Robert, how are you tonight? Um doing well uh, a little bit in shock and
1: i think we should all take a moment and um send our thoughts and best wishes out to all of the reporters who are on deadline covering this game tonight who probably had to rewrite their story four or five different
0: times in 20 minutes correct especially those on the east coast like you and i <laughs> uh, exactly i uh i was working on a, a match related story and i've uh aborted for the night. I will get back to it tomorrow morning because it was that kind of night. And I'm sure you're you're kind of in the same boat. So what we saw tonight, unfortunately, was the United States from a U.S. perspective, Robert, was the United States losing that kind of mental edge they've had over Mexico through the years. That's why each time it seemed like the U.S. was getting on the front foot or had put Mexico to the sword. I expected Mexico to wilt because we've seen it so many times in the past. But this U.S. team, there's there's a lot missing. And then we can get into the individual play and tactics in a minute. But what did you think about the mental battle tonight? Because obviously, it seems like it didn't quite happen for the U.S.
1: Yeah, you know, it's. I think you make a very good point there. It was. It seemed like it was a battle between two teams that mentally uh neither one wanted to seize control of this uh or you know take a, a, an advantage over this match i mean obviously mexico had the advantage in play possession and just quality but you're right it seemed like whenever the u.s um when the u.s got that second goal it, it seemed like a prime opportunity for mexico to just give up i mean it, they at that point in the match were just kind of playing around and just weren't really focused on their play so um You know, I I think this was a great match overall. Great chance for the U.S. to send a message. They didn't do that. Um, I think they had plenty of opportunities to try and send a message during the match, and they didn't do that. Um, You know, it was just a very odd match to watch. There was neither team really seemed like they were um, wanted to dominate. It was almost like two boxers who were just kind of jabbing the entire time. What you know, one boxer getting more jabs in, but uh, it seemed like there was a knockout that could be had either way. But neither. Neither boxer wanted to to get that knockout.
0: Right. So it was a a great day for Mexico and a terrible day for the United States because of other results at the U23 level, which kind of put this game into greater focus. I said during the course of the week, I thought Jurgen Klinsmann was safe because he'd get one of two. He'd either get the U23 team into the Olympics today with a win over Honduras, uh, where his top assistant, Andy Herzog, managing that team. That's why he wasn't on the bench tonight in Los Angeles or Pasadena. Or he would get this win. You didn't get either. Mexico, on the other hand, beat Canada, and qualified for the Olympics, where they're the defending champions, and they are going to the Confederations Cup. So the United States is clearly second best, third best, fourth best, whatever in CONCACAF right now, uh, not, not, not at Mexico's level. We saw it in two different pieces today, and that U23 result stands out because Klinsman has made it a priority to qualify for the Olympics He lamented the defeat in 2012, said we'd lost a whole generation of players by not qualifying for that Olympic tournament, which I think was a bit of hyperbole on his part. But as the technical director, he has continuously made the case that he is going to be betting in some of those U-23 players, and they're going to improve our national team, which really needs improvement. No question about that. And by 2018 in Russia, we're going to have a really seasoned professional bunch of younger and middle-aged players leading this side, well, those players couldn't even get it done at home against Honduras in an Olympic qualifier, the players he's counting on. So bad day all around for the United States. Let's talk a little bit about tactics, Robert. I think we saw the United States set up in an interesting shape in in, in the midfield. I thought when I saw the starting 11 for the United States, it was going to be more 4-2-3 one formation with maybe Dempsey playing out wide on one of the on, on the right side, Zardis on the left, and Bradley in the middle, and, and and, two holders in Beckerman and Jones. But that's not the shape we saw.
1: No, um, I, you know, it looked like uh, I think someone said mentioned it was the diamond formation essentially, uh, with Jones out wide, which was kind of interesting. Uh, definitely a odd choice, um. It, with Mexico and their strength on the wings, you know, putting some of your older players out there, um, you, when you throw in somebody like a DMB out there as well, um, that obviously creates a mismatch. And um, what you would see was Zardes uh, playing, you know, tracking back a lot. And I think that took a, a de- definite advantage away from the United States without having him roam forward more often. Um, and it also hurt the uh, link-up play. Uh, I, I think Dempsey tried to play between Bradley and and Altidore. It didn't work. Um, You saw switching in the midfield, trying to make up for defensive deficiencies. And it was just kind of putting a band-aid over some gaping wounds. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think from the the get-go, the United States was behind um, in their formation. I I think the one, well, going into this, I thought it was a positive. I don't know if I think it's such a positive anymore. Um, You know, the the starting back four being the same as, as the seeming first teamers from the World Cup. Um, seemed to send a signal that uh, Jürgen Klinsmann had finally set who was going to be, you know, his top uh, starting defenseman. And after this game, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a positive anymore, but um, it, it was an interesting decisions from the get-go, and I think it set the tempo and uh, helped Mexico set the tempo in this match.
0: Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I, the, other people said all week that they thought Beastler would get the start. I really thought Timmy Ream would get the start either at left back if, if DeMarcus Beasley couldn't go or at left center back and said it was Beasley who uh, really got turned for the first goal he had some good moments but uh, mm-hmm. really quite frankly got away with one i mean we had this epic extra time which was uh, just incredible drama but probably shouldn't have come to that because that was that was a clear penalty officials especially Aguilar who's a top rated fifa official really doesn't want to make that call in stoppage time and a championship game, which this was, or a cup, cup final. So he didn't make it, but I thought it was a pretty clear handball with a player sticking his hands out.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, at the time I thought it was, and I'll replay confirmed that it was. And, you know, it's it's always tough as, as an official. You don't want to decide a game. And a call like that in the 90th minute, we'll decide a game. Um, so you never want to be in that position. But on the other hand, you um, you know, when an when infraction like that is committed, you got to make the call. Um, I didn't see what his angle was on, you know, whether he could see it or not. Um, my, you know, I'm just assuming like you did, he didn't want to make that call. But I guess poetic justice was, was served since Mexico ended up winning. But um, I think we could have saved everybody a half hour of drama. Although it would have made for much, I think the, the storyline about this game would have been a more boring one. Uh, I think Correct. extra time
0: covered up how terrible the game this was in general. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, and we'll, we're going to get to uh, kind of the, the really negative aspects of this game in a minute. Uh, so a couple comments. Uh, so- soccer Herodic says Cameron looked good. I completely agree with that. Uh, and and um, he, he also says he was bringing us attacking soccer. This was Jurgen Klinsmann, obviously, it was promised to us. Four and a half years in, and we started three central defensive midfielders against our confederation rivals uh, and I actually thought Danny Williams might get to start tonight too I, I thought it might be Jones Beckerman Williams across the back and then uh, Bradley I thought there might be an ultra defensive formation so that's kind of what's happened to the U.S. in, in major tournaments uh, and uh, another comment from uh, I thought I saw another interesting comment on here uh, well uh, soccer with Brian this game should have meant a lot and while it was close the result speaks a lot I Think while I won't be shocked about the news that JK isn't fired, I think for U.S. soccer in the country as a soccer nation, this is a spin in the face, a huge spin in the face. Uh, and Atta, who uh, 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 congratulations to Atta, Turkey with a massive victory today. They're on the cusp of uh, they I think they only need a point against Iceland to uh secure a playoff spot in, uh, in UEFA. Uh, I don't think. Anything should be given blame, whether it's BMLS or the lack of pro and the like. The only person to be blamed for this is Jurgen Klinsmann. He got this game wrong tonight. If this was any other country, he'd be sacked or handed his resignation. Well, I think that that's true. I do think that there's some real deficiencies in the player pool. Let's let's get to that, Robert. I, I, I think technically you saw how poor the United States was tonight because what what we've seen in past U.S. Mexico games. And again, maybe this Mexico team is better, although. They certainly didn't prove in the World Cup qualifying and in this Gold Cup, even though they won it. They got aided by the officials in, in the knockout stages, and Trinidad won the group. Let's keep in mind, they finished second in their group. Trinidad and Tobago won that group. They, um, but the U.S.'s inability to hold the ball, to keep the ball for any stretch of play is very different. Now, obviously, the U.S. has typically been a, a defensive team that, that counters quickly and uses fitness levels and energy levels to overwhelm opponents. And we've seen that in major tournaments. We saw that even in the 2002 World Cup. But the United States, I don't remember having so little of the ball, even in the Steve Sampson days and in the arena days, as we've seen in the World Cup last year and in uh, this game tonight. And then if you uh, overlay that with the Gold Cup, the Gold Cup failure from a couple months ago, from two months ago, the United States produced less shots, uh, per game on average than any other team in that competition, including Canada. So that means even less than Cuba. So that, that's uh, – and got outshot badly by Haiti in, in, when, when we played Haiti. So there's something lacking in the player pool, and you saw that tonight, right? The inability to hold the ball, uh, the, the clearances, which with the exception of Jeff Cameron, who was fantastic today, maybe that shows what happens if you start in the Premier League, but uh, just returning the ball to Mexico.
1: Yeah, you know it's uh, it's interesting. You, you, you know, there, you can be successful and you can play a very smart and dare I say a beautiful version of, of soccer if you do play a defensive, you know, a defensive style. If you play in a shell, but the problem is you have to have the players on the on the pitch who can counter quickly, who can hold possession for a little bit and create those chances. And the way the U.S. was set up tonight was just not there. Um, as I said, you know, Zardes was. I saw him more often. I saw him closer to. Um, the back four than, than Mexico's goal, and that's probably a bad thing, you know even with the substitutions coming in, it, it, besides the the one moment of brilliance there, there was very few real chances going forward where you felt confident that there was going to a goal being scored um, I'm, I, well, let's let's put the name out there right now. Josie Altro was abysmal, I thought,
0: especially late in the game. well I thought he was better um, than Dempsey. Yeah, that's saying anything. That's not saying much. But
1: go ahead. Was he on the pitch? I, I don't. Yeah, Hearing right. his name. Um, I, I forgot he was on there. Um, but you know, and and then um, we talk about the transitions the teams going through. Um, I I'm in no way an expert on Mexico's national team, but you notice both of these teams in a way are going through some transition. Mexico with its coaching and with some of its more high profile players. You know, some of the players who are called up and who aren't. And, um, some who are, are basically being rolled off. The U.S. is doing the same thing. And towards the end of this game, you see a lot of the familiar faces out there and just, you know, Jermaine Jones out there, Demarcus Beasley, guys like that who every once in a while are doing something good, but for the most part look tired. They, you know, they're, they're making lazy choices. They're gambling when they shouldn't be
0: gambling yeah. on the
1: final goal.
0: And um he easily thought he was going to start I, a I, counterattack, yeah. and he's he's a step slow now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a pretty damning statement right there. And uh, you know, I think Jurgen was trying to fit square pegs into round holes, and probably he should be having you know triangular pegs into triangular holes, and
0: it's just not working right now. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think tonight we saw. At 34, however old he is, multitude of injuries. Of course, he missed the 2010 World Cup right after he changed his nationality uh, to U.S. from Germany because of injuries. Gervain Jones is still one of the most influential American players. He's still one of the better players on this national team. And that's that's a frightening thought. He's a gamer. I give him that. I mean, it's, except for that foul at the end, which was a tired foul, which led directly to the winning goal. But he's a gamer. He gave it all he had today. But, I mean, you're relying on 33- and 34-year-olds, and we'll get to youth development in a minute and to that U23 result today, Robert, before we wrap mm-hmm. up. But I, I think it was interesting that Klinsman – in his diamond in the first half it got it wrong putting jones on the wrong side where leon was 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 flying by him and zardis on the left where he was uh not having to kind of track back because beasley was was playing so uh so defensive and was so shaky in the first 15-20 minutes and then beasley was okay from that point forward so he flipped those two wings in about minute 30 25 or 30 and the u.s Decent for the rest of the first half from that point forward. Uh, do we give Klinsman credit for, for, for recognizing and making the switch, or do we not give him credit for starting the guys kind of on opposite wings from where we thought? If I didn't think they were playing the diamond when I saw the lineup, but if we'd known they were playing the diamond, we would have assumed Jones was on the left and Zardis was on the uh, on the right, and he flipped that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think we can give – you can't give a lot of credit when you see – you know, it's, it's such a total mismatch from the beginning. Um, I mean, I guess we can sit there and pat him on the back for saying, okay, you fixed something that probably shouldn't have been there at the beginning. But, I mean, the, this bed was made, and I think the blame starts there. So I, I'm not willing to give them a total pass on that. I'll say, okay, fine, good enough. But, I mean, from the beginning, this was a, a little bit of a disaster, so I'm not going to give him too much credit.
0: Yeah, so Klinsman makes the decision. He's experimented so much during the last year with guys who are uh, playing, uh, in some cases, in obscure places, German second division, although, of course, Bobby Wood has really come good, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But German second division, guys in the Belgian league, guys in MLS who catch form for a month to get, get capped, uh, guys who are in Mexico not really playing for their clubs, but they've got uh, – the ability to play for the United States to recaps them so they don't go play for Mexico. We've seen a lot of that in the last year. And you talked about this back line being kind of your go, you're throwing back to the, to the world cup. It's the first time those four guys have played together since the world cup. I think it's the first time Jones and Beckerman have played in the midfield since the world cup. Well, maybe they played. No, I think it is the first time they played together in the midfield since the world cup. So you saw Klinsman kind of return to veteran players when he was trying to bet in youngsters this whole year for a one-off game, and clearly the chemistry was lacking. Even though these guys played together so much in the past, there was a lack of continuity, a lack of understanding. That's why there were so many errant balls, so many bad giveaways. And and the the majority of the game, with the exception of maybe minutes 25 through 45, and then uh, minutes 105 through 115, 105 through 115, the U.S. was just returning the ball to Mexico. Not necessarily by design, but because guys weren't on the same page. How do you explain that when these guys have played together so much in the past? Is it because they haven't played together for the last year? I think that's
1: part of it. I think uh, the fitness plays a role in it. Um, you know, just the fact that it was a long game. It was, uh, you know, hot weather in California. Um, a year can be a long time. Um, but, you know, it was... I think to, to touch on your earlier point, um, when I saw that the the team was announced, it almost reeks of desperation. You know, <laughs> as you as you mentioned, he keeps going out and finding these players and trying to vet them in and seeing you know tinkering with things left and right. And in what's arguably the biggest match of the past, well, of the post World Cup timeline for this team, you're going back to your defaults, and that's a scary thing. And obviously, we saw it didn't work out. I mean, maybe if they would have played more matches together maybe if they would have spent more time together in the in the setup you know it might have worked out better but i'm not entirely convinced it would have anyway but uh, i i think that's the scariest thing is to sit there and say okay we're going to try and see what what's worked in the past if it'll work again and it didn't Um, and then pull combine that with the youth failures today um, and recently and that's that's probably why people should feel a little bit pessimistic about the U.S. setup right now. Yeah,
0: Jordan Morris, who scored the winning goal last time these two teams met and who could have helped today, uh, was starting for that U23 team because Klinsman had emphasized Olympic qualification. That hasn't happened. The U- United States now has to beat Canada on Tuesday just to get a shot at qualifying in the CONCACAF playoff, which will be in uh March, I believe, in South America against Colombia. So the United States is a long way off from qualifying for that tournament now. When well, it was very straightforward coming into today, so Morris isn't available today because Klinsman has emphasized qualification there, which then puts Josie Altador back in a situation where he has to play really uh, not ninety minutes or, or I, I can't remember what Wood came on for. Maybe it was 100, 105 minutes uh, with Aaron Johansson's injury. Altador. He had some nice touches, some nice movement in the first 20 minutes. He was the one guy that could hold up the ball, try and bring others into play, and then just disappeared, was, was invisible. Clint Dempsey, this is, um, this is something a lot of folks who, are like, who, who don't watch this sport as closely as you and I do, Robert, may not understand what I'm about to say. get your thoughts on it. Clint, Clint Dempsey scores a lot of goals for the United States, but unfortunately he's become a player now that all he does is score goals. He, 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 he doesn't he, he's not in the game he's, and when he doesn't score a goal well like today then it's really noticeable, he's not in the game, he's not tracking back as much as he, he would he's not making it as, as he used to he's not making the runs ghosting runs like he used to from, from a midfield position or from wide areas he's not, uh, his, he's not very active and then when he gets the ball he takes too many touches and, and today he was I think quite frankly a liability on the pitch
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I, I'm going to step in something that I, I I don't think this is a universal statement, but I'll say it here. I think moving to MLS has been very detrimental to him. Yes. Um, because I think in MLS, at playing for the Seattle Sounders, you can do that kind of thing. You could sit back and just score goals and not have to track back, not have to work as hard, and you get away with it. Because, A, there's talent around you. B, the talent on the other team isn't as great. And um, when you're in a setup like this, in a game like this, that kind of, um, default setting doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, you're playing against world-class players or players on the cusp of, of being world-class in a do or die. And you need to to do more than you had in the past. And I think moving back to MLS, um, now, granted, I will never disparage people for wanting to make a little bit more money in their career, but moving back to MLS, I think has done a lot of harm for his, uh, for his work in his career uh, on the national team, and if maybe if he would have stayed in Europe, we wouldn't see these these kind of deficiencies as yeah. much. He would have still been working
0: to overcome them, but um, I think that's a big a big reason why. And I've I made the point about Bradley over and over again that um, I, I think even if he wasn't getting games at Rome while training with with the likes of uh, Totti and uh De Rossi and everyone else on that side, uh, with with uh, a manager. Of, uh, like garcia you know you you're just you're just getting a lot more uh intense training and your your mind training too you have to think faster you have you have to adjust to that environment that that he's dropped off with that movement I, I go back to um Beasley and Jones okay these are two older players their age showed today they both made mistakes in that last five minutes that led to that or the last three minutes that led to the to the winning Mexican goal uh, but those guys at their age should not be still on the national team, let alone having to play 120 minutes. But they have to because there's still two of the more... Uh, there's still two of the better players, unfortunately, in this player pool. Those two guys have played high-level games in Europe throughout much of their career. Uh, DeMarcus Beasley's played more Champions League games than I think every other American player combined uh, to, in, in, in our history. He's played more games in the U.S. of Champions League than the rest of the U.S. player pool. Uh, not just for the U.S. player pool. U.S. players historically combined. And Jermaine Jones... Uh, played in Europe until a year ago and played in big games for Schalke, uh, year in and year out. Those two guys understand the the environment in this sort of game, even though, like I said, they made the mistakes late that they made, I think, partly because of age. Or Beasley. Beasley's instinct is he's going to pick that ball off and it's going to be a counterattack, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not. He's a step slower than he used to be. With the guys who are playing in Major League Soccer, I, I, I'm seeing that they don't, those situations, they're not able to, to, to read those situations as well. And I, I don't want to get into bashing MLS because I think it's done a lot of good. And I think in a lot of cases, uh, guys who are in MLS like Jaiassi's artists have something. They have that it factor even without playing in Europe. But you saw today. We talked about Beasley and Jones. You also saw in Jeff Cameron a guy who plays. He is the only field player from the United States that plays game in, game out in the Premier League. In fact, he's probably the only field player besides Fabian Johnson that I can think of that plays game in, game out in a big five league in Europe at this point. And you saw... He's started every game at center back this year for Stoke because Brian Shawcross has been injured. He was, he was playing right back last season, Cameron. And he started most of the games at right back and he was very comfortable. His clear, he, not only did he get the goal, but his clearances were good. He, even when he picked the spots to go forward, he was confident on the ball. He was able to pick out targets. Uh, he wasn't just clearing the ball back to the other team. So, this is something that this is where maybe you have a little bit of a defense of European Klinsman because too many of these guys are playing in, in, in situations where you can get away with these sorts of mistakes. And, and the last thing I'll mention before I, I get your opinion on this is Casey Keller, who was coaching, uh, uh, helping out for this game, helping the U.S. team for this game, is uh, also he also works for ESPN, and he made this very point during the Gold Cup that he saw the the lack of kind of sharpness and, and quickness and decision making because so many of the guys were playing in MLS. And, and he had made that observation himself as a guy who played in MLS and played in Europe.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a point you can make without having to be accused of, of not, you know, being anti-MLS. I mean, the league has grown, the quality has improved, um, and it's it's continuing to grow. And I think there's no doubt about that. But there's something we said for, you know, facing, you know, on one weekend, uh, Will Bruin and then facing the next. We, you know someone who's playing for Real Madrid, someone who's playing for right. you know another huge uh, club out there, someone who has the creativity style and ability to play for one of the best clubs in the world. Um, you know just the ability to see players like that even a few steps down, um, but players who are professionals and different leagues different experiences, different backgrounds, different styles of play, I think that's something that's that's not often talked about you know MLS still is very um, conservative and very uniform in its style of play. The, the ability to go out and experience um, different players and different teams and different styles of play, I think, is immense for a national team. And, um, you, you know, with the U.S. relying so much uh, uh, sometimes on domestic players, you lose that aspect. You lose that ability to grow in diversity and the ability to bring on different players with different skill sets who have different experiences. And when you're in a match where you're behind the eight ball, you can't change things up. You're bringing on like for like. I mean, you know, the third sub almost that came on today was uh, Chris Wondolowski. And, you know, I, you know, he's a great MLS player, but not the kind of guy you want to rely on in a match like this to score a goal. Whereas if you had somebody who maybe played in a different league, you know, played for a different style of team, you know, played with different players, you know, they, they might be able to bring something else. So... Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the good things Cleansman brings is with his constant tinkering and experimentation and bringing people on and in and out is, you know, he does bring a diversity of thought and a diversity of experience to this team. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to turn that pool of players into something more cohesive and a building block to build on to
0: 2018. Two more things. We know the hour is late and a lot of you want to get off the bat, although some people are very fired up about this result. So two more things Robert want to cover before before we leave, Uh, the first thing I want to mention is the substitutions today. So, I I, I really felt like around minute 60, either Jones or Beckerman should come off and you bring Danny Williams on, who is a similar, it's a like-for-like like player, but Williams is fresher, he's younger than both those guys, and, and he may be able to go forward or pick his spots going forward uh, for, for one of those two guys and, and, and maybe even free up Brad, Michael Bradley from some of the defensive responsibilities he had because the U.S. was playing so deep uh, with with so many guys that were already getting gassed at that point in the game. So that didn't happen. Instead, uh, who, who was first sub? Again, DeAndre Yedlin. Okay, so that was that made a little bit of sense because that, that did allow the U.S. to relieve some pressure uh, with, uh, with, with, with that wide play. Then the second sub was Bobby Wood, right? Uh, the third sub ended up being... Uh, Fabian Johnson couldn't go any longer, and the third sub ended up being Brad Evans. Now, uh, the idea was to bring Wando on, and then... Um, that didn't happen, and apparently Klinsman, which has now become a fashionable thing in in world football, was going to bring on Nick Rimando for penalties. And we even saw this in the U.S. Open Cup final last week. We saw Louis Van Hall created this this this, this uh, frenzy of uh, this fad that by bringing Tim Krul in for penalties last year in, in the Mexico uh, Holland game, or was it Holland? It was Holland-Mexico or Holland-Costa Rica. One of those games you brought them on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, they, they ended up, uh, it was Costa Rica and Holland, right? And, and they ended up winning. So there's this new fad. So Klinsman in a 120-minute final. Just think about this. Keep this in perspective. 120-minute cup final where it's a winner-take-all match. It's not uh, a 2 leg tie. It, 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 and the winner goes to a tournament the loser doesn't. And it's against your biggest rival. And you, he's already gone out and fielded a very old veteran team, is holding a substitute to bring in a goalkeeper for penalties. Uh, so, talk about the substitutions. What were your thoughts on it?
1: Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, I had flipped over to the baseball game at halftime of this match, uh, the Dodgers Mets game, and, you know, I was just keeping an eye on the halftime reports uh, on Twitter, and I had assumed that at halftime the switch was even made for Danny Williams. Um, that's how confident everybody was and how much of a no brainer this was. Um, so the fact that he didn't come on again was surprising to me as well. You know, Deandre Yedlin makes sense in a lot of ways, um, to, to run on the counter. But again, the way that the formation was set up and the way that the players were set up, he wasn't put in the right spot to succeed right away. So it was almost a wasted substitution. It took him about. When did he come on? Maybe the, you know it took about half the time he was on the pitch to actually get into yeah. the flow and start contributing. and I think that was pretty damning. Um, when you have so few substitutions, it's so few subs and so little time, you got to get those guys to have to start producing right away. And the fact that he took such a long time to actually get into the the game was I think very damning. Um, you know I, I understand. <laughs> comparing Louis Gaal to uh, Jürgen Klinsmann just makes me laugh. Management <laughs> oh,
0: right, right. pedigree, there's no comparison, but, uh, but of yeah, course. Yeah, very similar. Um, but, but you know,
1: I, I think just the lack of recognition of, you, you know, having Jones, Beasley, a couple of these guys, is, and, and, you know, Beckerman, for that matter, who is, you know, a guy, I love him to death, one of my favorite players, MLS players, uh, for a number of reasons, but he, these guys are his security blanket and the fact that he wouldn't even think to take them off even though it's
0: 120 minutes is disturbing yes and he wouldn't think they'll take either of those two guys off Beckerman or, or Jones or Beasley or, or Dempsey quite frankly I mean I, I don't know what uh, Dempsey that's what I was hoping was going to happen when I saw Wanda warming up and the other two stuffs had been made so I thought okay maybe he'll bring Dempsey off and bring Wanda on that's the logical substitution but now that I think about it he probably would have taken someone else off uh, who would have yes. been I don't know uh, yeah it, it's uh uh, the one parallel between or the one correlation between Louis von Hall and Jurgen Klinsmann is Jurgen Klinsmann made a mess at Bayern and Louis von Hall had to clean it up. That's, <laughs> that's their relationship in the coaching world. Last uh, thing, Robert, where does the United States go from here? Because as I said all week when people said, well, if Klinsmann loses to Mexico, he's going to get he needs to get the sack. I actually stepped in and defended him saying look, we got this U23 team. They're fantastic. They're going to qualify for the Olympics. That's the, that's the tournament you need to watch. When they qualify, Klinsman's, Klinsman's fine until 2018, and uh, everything's going to be okay, regardless of this result. Then I watched the game this afternoon, which was shocking. I mean, the, we thought the U.S. was bad in this game. They were much worse. I mean, they, it's hard to believe they were worse, worse in this game, but they were maybe playing an opponent that wasn't uh, quite... It wasn't quite on it at times either. That game against Honduras was embarrassing if, if people missed it. It was really uh, very telling about the, this, the state of the U.S. player pool. And a lot of those guys do play in Europe. There are more European-based players, I believe, on the field today than MLS-based players. So, And then Jordan Morris was, of course, a college kid. Um, so where do we go from here? Because didn't qualify for Confederations Cup, uh, finished fourth in the Gold Cup. We've got a team now that has uh, uh, been outshot by Haiti, should have lost to Haiti, uh, lost to Jamaica, uh, for all intents and purposes, lost to Panama, even though it was a—well, drew with Panama twice, but one of the games, for all intents and purposes, should have lost because Guzmán made about uh, 15 saves in that game, and it was one-way traffic. But uh, now it uh, got absolutely picked apart by Brazil, maybe the most embarrassing— there was the scoreline. We've had three ones and four ones before, but maybe the most embarrassing performance uh, of either the Bradley or Klinsman years. There were some results like that towards the end of Bradley's uh, Arena's tenure, going into that two thousand six World Cup, uh, but nothing quite like, uh, like like this under Bradley or uh, or or Klinsman. And um, and and now this, now this tonight, this capitulation, and part of it was a mental capitulation. So. Where is the program? What's the next step? Does Jurgen Klinsmann uh, keep his job? Uh, obviously, he's the technical director, also, which is uh, uh, kind of unique in world football that you have the same uh, manager and technical director, which makes it that much more difficult to, to get rid of him. Uh, what are the next steps, and where is the US long term? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think that the big thing
1: is is that I think we all have to remember that Klinsmann was the the wanted one. He was the one that that. U.S. soccer had wanted for years to come in and do this. So I think it's going to take, even though today was a very bad day for U.S. soccer, I think it's going to take a little bit more for him to get fired. I could be wrong, but I I, I think for them to just sit there and say we screwed up after chasing this guy for years and years, um, I, I don't see it happening. Now, one other thing I would mention to add to this bad day, we talk about the lack of development on the youth front. We talk about the stagnation of the senior team. We also have to keep in mind that U.S. soccer is going through this whole FIFA scandal um, situation where there are lots of questions being asked about U.S. soccer. I think they've dodged a lot of them so far, but they're still out there. So this is a pretty bad time for U.S. (laughs) soccer. How do they shake it up? How do they make things different if they're not going to fire their technical director? They're not going to fire the head coach of the national team? I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's – you know the, the leadership of U.S. Soccer stepping down or something else, but this is a very bad time for U.S. Soccer, and they need some really good news to come through. I, I don't know where it's going to come from in the in the very near future. Um, not with the Concacaf Champions League, um, it, you know, group stays finishing up and nothing happening until the spring. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but they need some good news and they need some quick. Maybe, oh. maybe they can find. You know, Wayne Rooney has. Eligibility in the U.S. and, you know,
0: his with England English national team. <laughs> Can be boy. <laughs> right. right. Maybe they, yeah. they get some. Yeah. It's maybe something like that, because no one obviously not Rooney really specifically because he, he's tied to England forever. Yes. But uh, yes, <laughs> but we maybe there's someone out there who has not come through the U.S. system because clearly the U.S. system isn't producing. The right type of players to compete at the international level and the top line talent in the United States, as I have told people time and again, I believe is worse than it was 20 years ago when the United States made that great run at Copa America. Believe it or not, we didn't have MLS. that MLS has made the pool deeper. It hasn't necessarily made the top of the pool better, unfortunately, and that's not necessarily an MLS failure. I think that's more failure of youth soccer and the pay to play system as well as the Bradenton Academy in my neck of the woods down here in Florida. Uh, last thing before we go, Robert, I'm going to read a couple of on-air comments. Uh, Australia said, uh, well, someone's asking if Netherlands will fail to make Euro 2016. Yeah, if Turkey gets a point in the next game, they will. Australia sent kids to World Cup to give them experience, and then they won the Asian Cup. That is correct. The United States has continued to persist with older players and, and did that in the Gold Cup uh, to a large extent, other than Alvarado and Brooks Perrin. And then... Uh, did that tonight, and it hasn't seemed to do anything uh, to, uh, to, to, to stem this tide. I'm liking Bobby Wood as, the, as part of this team, Stream Voice says. I also feel good with, I would also feel good with clearing off the roster a reset. Can they do, without, do it without a coaching change? I don't think so. I think that's the general sense of most people. I've heard the press conference was gold. Yeah, Neil, Neil Blackman was going to join us uh, at the end of this show, but he hasn't phoned in, and we're, we're, we're about done. I think maybe the press conference was gold and it lasted longer and Neil wanted, was, was stuck at that press conference. He was going to call it after the press conference. Um, first three questions, this is the gap. For, uh, first three questions for Klinsman in press conference are softball questions. Um, wow. Uh, so that's that also goes back to the U.S. soccer media and maybe that's a subject for another day. The passiveness, lack of willing to call out the federation robert you brought up a great point about this fifa scandal and the u.s role the u.s is one of the epicenters of the scandal u.s soccer is the governing body for the sport in this country but many reporters don't seem to want to acknowledge that and call that out or at least ask the questions they need to ask so that is where we are um final thoughts robert on a difficult day um, well, uh, the one
1: positive is we now have a new super striker to focus on in Bobby Wood, so hopefully his shine won't come off like so many others have, and we will actually have someone who turns into a world-class uh, player up, up top.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one positive for me, and the other positive is this probably will be the last competitive match for the United States, Darcy Beasley and Jermaine Jones play in. and even though they made mistakes that last five minutes, uh, they went down fighting wide like champions, unlike some of the other guys on this team some of the other veterans on this team uh, namely mr. stemsey and Altador who uh, <laughs> didn't really seem to be up for the fight at all so those are my takeaways and that's about it Robert where can uh, where can people find you on Twitter uh, just find me at my name very simple Robert hey jr Robert hey at Robert hey jr is Robert I'm at KKFLA 737. So for Robert Hay, I'm Carter Krishnire. Thank you for joining us. Final score Mexico 3, United States 2, after extra time in the CONCACAF Cup final. And uh, that's it. Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style
1: with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen